So November 17th to the 20th is actually a time that will be forever embedded in my memory. I was watching on Twitter. I was watching the news and from the sidelines, reading all the media reports on the weekend of November 17th, it seemed to be this irrepressible set of events that unfolded that weekend in the coming days that nobody would have guessed the outcome that could have transpired during that period from the firing of Sam Altman, who was the CEO of OpenAI, the quitting of Greg Brockman, who was the president of OpenAI, the threatened resignations from employees of OpenAI, to the requested resignation of the board, to the hiring of Brockman and Altman as Microsoft's new employees, to the final decision to reinstate Altman as CEO to OpenAI with a new board member or new board members in tow. All of this happened in the course of five days. Hi, everyone. My name is Hesse Jones, and welcome to Tech Uncensored. What these events with OpenAI and Microsoft have signaled are some unprecedented implications for the AI community, its researchers, and more importantly, the far-reaching impacts for society for which AI is going to be built for. So let's talk about the economics. Microsoft owns 49% of OpenAI. They poured in more than $10 billion since 2019 with a reported investment of over $13 billion. So now the valuation of OpenAI is somewhere around $29 billion. But Microsoft has no board seat. In 2019, when Microsoft invested in OpenAI, they were a nonprofit corp at that time. And the company's status uh, was changed to for-profit when Microsoft invested uh, their money. What remained of the nonprofit entity was a governance layer where the board was charged with making decisions that impacted the broader humanity. And so this nonprofit group had no shares in the company. They had no financial interest in OpenAI. And this was the group that ousted Sam Altman. So the structure was actually designed to enable OpenAI to raise the dollars it needed to build the AGI, at the same time preventing capitalistic forces from controlling AGI. And this was essentially, according to reports, a ticking time bomb because the minute that Microsoft put in $10 billion to OpenAI this past January, it, it, things would have gone awry regardless. So what does this all mean? When a nonprofit with no financial incentives is unable to effectively oust an executive because of safety concerns. And then when a structure is actually put into place to mitigate the risk of this unilateral control of advanced AI and was essentially usurped by the same capitalistic forces, AKA Microsoft, the event that this structure was designed to actually prevent, something is terribly wrong. I've spoken to many people within the AI research community, mainly from open source academia to weigh in on these events. And I'm happy today to introduce Christoph Schumann, who is the co-founder of Lion AI, a large-scale artificial intelligence open network. So they are a nonprofit organization. They have a large community of volunteers, data scientists, researchers, practitioners, developing applications in the field in, in large language models. Welcome, Christoph. Hello, Hesse. I'm so happy to be here, really. Thank you. So first, tell us a little bit about Lion. 
Yeah, Lion is a grassroots community by basically many, many people who share this dream of making top AI open source accessible for everyone. So like, I remember when OpenAI was founded, I already followed it and I was so excited about what they had been doing. And I would never have dreamed to be a part of like this AI development community. But for some reason, it happened that like these communities on Discord, where you have like these groups of like scientists and students and hackers like discussing about like how can we recreate what OpenAI is doing or maybe like surpass them in some areas where they are not pushing the bond boundaries in some way. So, and yeah, like this is such a magical place. And I happened to be like part of it at a time when it was easy to become an integral part of this community. It's, it's still like easy, like everyone is needed. Everyone who's watching this and wants to be a part of the truly open AI revolution is happily invited to come to our Discord server. And yeah, like, I mean, we cannot compete in every domain with the big tech because we simply do not have the the resources, but it's surprising that we can compete or maybe like complement what they are doing in some ways surprisingly well, simply because so many, like thousands of people, like from the Google developer to a high school student to a Stanford professor, they all share this dream with our hierarchy, being in this community, helping each other. And this is, this is like a magical place. Can I ask, just from that perspective, you said there are thousands of people. Like, Lion is actually, you actually have a page on Wikipedia, which means that you are, you obviously have a force. You are, you are a force to be reckoned with. So what, in, from what context are we talking about? How many volunteers in general, how many models have you been developing? Like, what kind of activity has Lion been involved in? Oh yeah, we have this Discord server and like technically we have more than 20,000 members, but like in practice, it's maybe one, 200 people who are really regularly contributing. Um, on the paper, we are a nonprofit, but this core nonprofit is really just a mailbox and a small bank account. We, we don't have much resources like on the bank account, but it's the, the people who come are affiliated with some university or with some uh, supercomputing lab or whatever. And then they don't care so much about bureaucracy. It's more like, oh yeah, we can maybe get some GPU hours from this company or from this, from this supercomputer there because a buddy of me has uh, like a grant there and they have access to 500,000 GPU hours. So just, okay, let's figure out how we can find whoever is competent to run it and then Get him there. And so the distribution between resources like talent and GPUs and storage and ideas, there is really a really quick connection. No much bureaucracy, not like in a university where you have to write an application and you have to talk to your professor and your supervisor. It's more like, I wake up, I have an idea. I'm talking to some random people on Discord and then I think, oh yeah, it's a great idea. I just invite people to join me. And maybe I start with a proof of concept or other people start with a proof of concept. And then like 
it becomes alive because the community is there to basically um, push it forward. That's great. That's great. Was there a recent article? Like, was it Fortune that named you? Was it in the top 50 AI companies? What was yeah. that? It's crazy, right? Like the Fortune magazine made like a list of the top AI uh, companies, like top 50 AI companies that are driving progress in AI. And they reached out to us and they included us. And I'm a high school teacher. I'm not making any money with this. I'm doing it really because I like to do it. And I have to say, in Germany, I'm a tenured high school teacher. And that my salary is not super good, but it's also not bad. So I, I'm pretty much carefree. I have enough money. I'm happy. I have two, two wonderful kids. And I basically devote 90% of my free time into this because I think this really matters like to, to democratize this AI. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back to the, the events of November 17th. I guess it was like over a week ago. Now, what were you thinking when all this happened, right? What you probably, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you, the community was reeling. So at the end of the weekend, Sam Altman was put back in control of OpenAI. From your perspective, what, what's going to change there? Oh, yeah. If you ask me honestly, like in the first moment, I was thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> but then after like thinking about this, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, it will continue the way it was going previously with some small cosmetics. So basically, I don't know Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. When I like started to read more about what's going on in the AI world like five, six, seven years ago. These people have been like idols to me. Like like, like I looked up to them because they were starting OpenAI and they were so cool and I was just a high school teacher. And right now I must say hmm, I was a little bit disappointed when they went to become a capped for profit with OpenAI. But I understood the marks behind it. And right now, at this moment, I think OpenAI like Open and Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, they will have this, uh, this, the confidence that the people are behind them, the money is behind them, the employees are behind them. And they will probably feel a little bit scared by the critics constantly looking at them now more carefully. So they will pretend to be a little bit more safety oriented and they will a little bit behave more like politicians, like thinking about every word they say, like giving no vector of attack for the critics. But in the end, in the long term, like strategy, they will just continue because they will feel uh, like validated in whatever they had been doing. And honestly, I mean, the moment. OpenAI signed these papers that they will basically give away the research results to Microsoft. It was clear that the nonprofit would not have anything important to say because at any point, everyone could just say goodbye and just move over to Microsoft. It was so clear. That's so you're, you're even saying that no matter what structure was originally put in place so that Microsoft would not be seen to have control 
or or try not to influence the the trajectory of of open AI that that was not the case at the end of the day. I mean, the so what what's your opinion on the new members of the board that they installed? Well, I mean, there's still going to be a nonprofit side that presumably is going to still keep make the profit side accountable, you would think, or what do you think? I think probably, I don't know the people on the board right now, and there's a very high likelihood that all of them are just nice people. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I am an optimist by human nature. I like, so everyone watching this, like my critics sometimes say, oh yeah, Christoph, you're so naive. I like the, the people who consider themselves like existential effective altruists or like these doomers or safety people, they say, oh yeah, Christoph, he's so naive. Like, but actually it all boils down in the end to your core beliefs about human nature. If you believe that the world is a dangerous place and that mistakes have more severe negative consequences than like opportunities to learn and to have feedback and to improve, then the consequence should be, should avoid mistakes as your highest priority. And if you have this, like this leads to a pretty gloomy worldview where control is the main objective. And if you think, yeah, maybe like there are some really bad mistakes, but overall, the majority of people and the majority of mistakes are positive feedback and a chances to improve yourself. And in the end, basically, maybe with AI or parenting or whatever, like things would probably be good if you're open minded and don't give. So, and if you have this worldview, like me, for example, then in the end, like, control is not the main objective but it's more like the main objective will be stuff like how to make sure that people can flourish by like pursuing their objectives their own objectives because you don't think that the majority of people are psychopaths you, you think that the majority of people are kind of decent maybe not angels but they are kind of decent and they are like more or less like as a swarm positive agents mildly mm -hmm. positive so you want them to be resilient and to empower people. So my, my perspective on this is like, instead of thinking too much about regulation and putting boundaries about open AI and Google and all the potential like sources of risks, we should think much more about how to empower people, how to empower people like you, like me, like the researchers and the scientific community, the, the viewers here right now, like you, the, maybe you're a high school student, maybe you're a tech reporter or a housewife, I don't know, maybe you're an AI researcher. All of you, you should become more powerful, in my opinion, more resilient, because like people are talking about risks and the risks that we can foresee right now are not the risks that will be there in one year. And trying to like extinguish all risks and put boundaries and regulations about this, this is a flawed approach in my opinion. We should like think, how can we make you, the viewer, you so powerful, so resilient with cool AI superpowers basically, 
that you will be capable to mitigate the risks of tomorrow that we cannot even foresee right now. And this is basically the core belief behind Lion, I would say, that we try to replicate what like these big tech companies are doing and what, what maybe, in my opinion, national laboratories should be doing. They should have been leading this all along, but they have not been. So but we, we try to replicate what what these top research institutions are doing and make it accessible so that you and me and everyone out there will be empowered to be resilient to the risks of the future. So right now, like, because you talk about access and you talk about the fact that like Lyon exists without funding. Lyon exists to develop the things that they're doing and they don't have the same level of resources, GPUs, top talent, that a Microsoft has. And, and yet you're, you are competing almost on the same level, according to Fortune magazine. So my, so my question to you, and, th and this is something, this is something that I think is, is also one of the fallout of what's happened because of, uh, open AI in the last week or so is this emergence of these communities that you had spoken about earlier. And there's the effective altruists and there are the AI optimists. And when we talk about the doomers, I don't know if we could put them in the same light as an effective altruist, but there is this belief within some of the big tech communities that they need to protect their investments. And so that could have been a veiled response to, hey, I want to pause AI because we were the only ones that can provide the right technology to save humanity from this existential threat. What's your view on this? Because you're, you're considered an AI optimist and you, you believe that we don't have to pause AI, that we can have regulation in lockstep with how we develop responsibly. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> slowing down is like a really bad idea. Why? Because if like, this, this is so obvious, like if one participant in this race of breakthroughs slows down, then others won't. Like if the US would ban AI research and Germany and the EU, do you honestly believe that China would slow down or Russia would slow down or whoever, they wouldn't. Like, it's obvious that they wouldn't. <clears throat> and do we want China and Russia to lead this AI breakthrough race? <laughs> I think no. I think, like, if you are really concerned about, like, oh, what could go wrong, and this is the main focus you're focusing on, then it is like a fight or flight response that focuses you automatically on thinking, oh, how can we avoid mistakes? Avoiding mistakes, oh yeah. So, but like avoiding mistakes is really, really bad for long-term um, research and for making good, founded, long-term decisions. I think like what we need is we need to think about how can we, the Western societies, like governments, citizens, everyone, be good role models 
And instead of leading it with regulations and criticizing OpenAI and pointing fingers like, like to whatever, like whoever, like did say anything or did research anything, like instead of pointing fingers, we should look at ourselves and think when we wake up, how can we be good role models? Because actually, like some people say, oh yeah, Christopher, you're so naive. Like if you open source everything, then someone will come up with some bad, evil application of it. And then that's really bad for all of us. But in the end, I mean, almost no one thinks about the risks of holding back AI progress. I mean, think about if there would be a cure to cancer that could be researched with the help of AI open or open source AI, for example, maybe three years earlier than like in contrast to if you would ban it or regulate it or whatever, then what would be the cost? Like what is the worth of these year people who cannot be saved in these three years? And this sounds like a little bit unfair, like, like it sounds like a little bit like an ethical, um, yeah, sledgehammer or whatever, but I, I have to say there's some truth to it. I mean, like I want to die of cancer. My, my sister, when she was like, um, 46, I'm, I'm 41, you know, she was, she died of cancer. She left behind uh, a seven years old daughter. And I, like my mom, almost died of cancer. Like she, she just survived like a chemotherapy. And I'm now 41. I'm still feeling young. <laughs> I'm not feeling old. Like I'm, I'm still feeling like, like I was when I was 30 or 25. But I, I, I'm seeing that I'm getting a little bit older every year. And I don't want to die of cancer. I, yeah. I want to get like maybe 100 years in a healthy way. And this should not be achieved by like investing some money into some tech company and then maybe having some super expensive injection. No, it should be achieved by progressing this technology to a level where it will be so cheap that everyone could live up to a 100 or 120 years in a good, decent way. And I'm, I'm damn serious about this. I, I think like everyone should have the right to participate from this. So I... I don't want to live in a future where I will be 120 years and can live healthy and happily with all the AI gimmicks of the science fiction movies because I'm a billionaire and I um, have this luxury. I want a future where every teacher and every cashier from the supermarket will have these superpowers, where we're, like it will be free for everyone. Imagine like the scientific there's a science fiction movies from the future. Like, so, um, a dystopian future would be where these AI matrix oasis powers would be in the hands of AWS and Microsoft. And they basically, they would give it to us so that we would become addicted to holodecks and computer games, virtual worlds and AI companions. And everything would be like with a hidden objective to generate revenue for these big companies. But like a utopian version of it would be where the power to have your own holodeck and to have your own 
virtual assistants and whatever, like your own companions, your own teachers, it would run locally and it would be not aligned to what the AI, the open AI safety people would think is good, but it would be aligned to what you think is good. And then everyone could choose, do I want to have a virtual assistant who gives me superpowers and helps me to be a more kind, more empathetic human being with a hidden objective to, in the end, make me buy Amazon product? Or do I want to have the same, with maybe a little bit more effort to maintain it, to have it locally without any hidden objective, just for me? And in the end, I could choose, do I want to have like this holodeck experience where in the end I will be just playing every moment because I have so much fun? Or do I want to have this holodeck experience where I have lots of fun, but in the end, the AI will say, hey, Christoph, you haven't spent time with your kid. You should spend a little bit time, more time with your kid. Like now, he's coming right now. <laughs> he's like running around here and like, I want these AI assistants to be like my buddy, like my good friend to take care of me and I align with my values locally on my hardware. And this should be a human right. This should be something that the UN is doing and not OpenAI. And I, I, I'm not scrutinizing, like I'm not saying OpenAI or Microsoft is bad. I think, I'm saying they are doing whatever makes sense for them. I think like, we are to blame because we are not pushing our governments to be good role models. Like we should push our governments to make sure to have something like the AI United Nations or like a CERN for AI or whatever. Like we would need this in the US and in the EU and maybe in India or whatever. And even in China, I don't care. But like, like we should have like this several big governmental institutions that basically provide these foundation models like we should have this as a national service. Yes. For everyone. I, like I electricity. So but so here's the thing. And and so what you're advocating for is the the decentralization of AI so that it's not in the hands of a few for profit companies that who whose motivations are very different than trying to, I guess make it safe, make it, make it accessible, make it available for everyone in the world. So that's a very, very different goal. And I think that's the reason why that's why government is, is needed. So can you talk about closed versus open and, you know, the, the real risks of, let's say, a Microsoft and an open AI, which is almost an oxymoron because it's not, uh, what is the risk to, to the world? if we continue to allow closed systems that where a lot of people still depend on them. So the big danger, I think at the moment is the danger of centralization, centralization of power over knowledge and about uh, over like this AI technology, because at the moment we only have like a few players like Microsoft and Google and maybe Tencent or like Amazon and maybe even the Chinese government who is like really pushing hard at the moment to, to catch up and to train these foundation models. And 
in the end, if there will only be like five or six players to provide these services, all data will go there. And even if they say, yeah, we have the best safety team and everything will be private on Azure Cloud, in a container, whatever. In the end, you're dependent on the goodwill of five players. And there's another problem. Like if OpenAI or DeepMind or whatever, like they say, yeah, we have the best safety team, like and traffic, we have the best, safest models. Then you have to trust that this for-profit company hires the best scientific, uh, like safety researchers. And do you really think their team is better than all safety experts from the scientific community? I mean, if you are someone who believes that human nature is in general more bad and that risks are more expensive, that mistakes are more expensive than all the benefits of like learning from failure, of course, then you should be scared and should say, yeah, we need like the best experts and they have to like guardrail it and like put it into a box and control it. And we need to, to prevent every misbehavior. Like, okay. Like, but this will lead ultimately into a surveillance state. That's one ex example. I really, really like Geoffrey Hint. I remember like five, six, seven years ago, I always watched his lectures when a new lecture came out, like on YouTube somewhere. But recently he resigned from Google and he began to warn about the dangers of AI. And in one lecture, I think it was an Oxford lecture or something like this, or Royal Society lecture, he said, that misinformation is really super dangerous for our democracies and that there's a big risk in having these like people who pretend to be other people, like having a fake voice or having like a fake image of a politician that being fake. And therefore his logical consequence would be that everyone who puts generated content out and pretends it's real should be punished in the same way someone should be punished to his using or producing counterfeit money, like hard prison sentences. And I was thinking like, are you serious? There will be so many students, like high school students, kids who will do this. Do you want to build like a surveillance internet police to hunt them all down and bring them all to justice? Like this, this cannot be real. Like I, I wasn't so understanding. And then in the end, during a Q and A session of this lecture, like he was saying, yeah, like he said, he basically told something like he was disillusioned by capitalism and deep in his heart, he was thinking in the end, we would need something like socialism, like a government that controls and sets clear rules. And like, he was not convinced that capitalism was like secure. And I was thinking, oh my, oh my God, like he's, he's seriously telling that he is basically proposing socialism, like, like Star Wars, like Star Trek, like Star Trek socialism, where you have the central government basically banning, like the individual freedom to be resilient and capable. And I was thinking, yeah, this makes sense. Like if you are really like on this political standpoint and view of human nature, I mean, okay, then the logical consequence could be, okay, we need like the government to step in and control the internet. But this is not what I'm like 
wanting to have in my life. Like I, I want governments to lead the research to empower the citizens. I don't want governments to lead AI in regulating the citizens and the companies. I like they should be free to do whatever is okay in standard law. Like don't betray others. I mean, if a kid calls somewhere and says, "Oh yeah, I'm Santa Claus. I'm your husband," blah 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 blah, and they're making a joke. It's basically a kid making a joke. It shouldn't lead to prison sentence. If someone does it with the intent to rip off your money or maybe to 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 just like deceive you in a serious way to put you to harm, this should be like punished the same way it should have been without AI. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need much more regulation. We need like good role models to empower the general public to to become resilient. Do you think? What happened in the last week that there is more of a risk of the centralization of power because of what Microsoft was successfully able to do with reinstalling Altman back into a seat? Yes and no. Yes, like from the perspective that OpenAI will now really push it hard to put out the best products and potentially be the first to develop AGI, whatever this means. On the other hand, I think this was a wake-up call for many governmental institutions and other companies and like critics. And now the pressure to create alternatives will be stronger. And I have some hope that something good will grow out of this. Okay. Thank you, Christoph. This is, I could go on for hours because this is a big topic. And as you know, um, developing AGI is, is scary and exciting at the same time. And everybody's watching it and they're trying to be careful. They're trying to make sure that the next Terminator doesn't exist in our near future. So um, I know that Lion is, is very committed to making sure it's open and transparent so that doesn't happen. So, thank so let, you. Me, let me maybe put a statement to the end. Absolutely. So if you're watching this about OpenAI and maybe you're scared or hopeful or whatever, if you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm just a programmer or maybe I'm just a housewife or a teacher or a high school student and I cannot make a difference, I have to tell you, it's not true. You can make a difference. I know someone who got into AI like nine months ago and he was just like watching from the outside and um, he was thinking, oh yeah, what like Lion is doing and what the other open source people are doing. It's so cool. I really should get into it. And now he has built his own online Discord community. And he's now in talks to raise money. And he has been like, actually, it's a guy behind the Open Orca effort. The Open Orca effort is like really famous within the ML community because Orca was a project from Microsoft, like in summer, where they used data from GPT-4 to distill it into like a small 13 billion parameter model, much smaller than GPT-4, and make it much more powerful 
than it had been before this 13 billion. So like it was not as powerful as GPT-4, but it was a lot more powerful than before. And this was closed source by Microsoft. And then this guy was reading about it and he was thinking, oh yeah, there are these communities like Lion and Eleuther and like whatever. And he started to work on this. And then he built this data set and he built like a community around it. And I know that there are like many people in this big LLM community. They are thinking about how can we take existing models and merge them together? How can we make like repurpose whatever we have in a way that OpenAI would never do it? Because for OpenAI, it's easy to just throw 20,000 GPUs at it. It's easy. You have the GPUs, you have the money, you have the developers. You don't need a really new creative way to basically um, make breakthroughs with little resources. But I think I'm convinced there are many, many ways to make breakthroughs with little resources, maybe a few GPUs or maybe a few talented people. And people can make these breakthroughs. And the only reason why OpenAI had not made it is because they are so busy with pursuing the path of throwing more resources at it. It's for them clear the path forward, just scale it up, hire the best minds, have them work on what is obvious. But there are many, many paths and many, many avenues that are not obvious to OpenAI and to me, like, but that will probably in the end, and three, two, four years from now, lead to much more efficient AI. And this is where everyone can make a difference. Even if you don't even have like a university degree, just go there, read the tutorials, come to the Discord communities and like make a little bit a positive difference. Start with yourself and not pointing fingers. Thank you. That's great. Uh, thank you, Kristoff, because I think that's, that's what we need. I think if, if humanity is going to benefit from this, I think we all need access. We all need a voice in where this technology goes. And it's moving super fast. 3G, 5G, we already all don't have access. So you know what? If the technology is built with humans in mind, then hopefully there is hope for all of us. So thank you. So that, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Christoph, so much for, for your insight into the events that happened in the last week or so. For our audience, if you have any questions about future topics, please email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. You can also find Texten Uncensored in, wherever you get your podcast. In the meantime, everyone, um, until next time, have fun and uh, be safe. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.